0: Coming at you from the Wee Dessert Studio in Houston, Texas. You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Staton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be
1: informed. Welcome to episode 75 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Staton, and I'm joined this week by Kevin Cook. And Kevin, this is the first podcast of 2017 that we are recording, and uh, it's a big one. We have Daryl Morey, the Rockets general manager, on as our first guest for 2017. And, you know, after uh, James Harden's night the other night where he threw up 53 points, 17 assists, and 16 rebounds from the first player in NBA history with 50, 15, and 15, I couldn't think of a better guest to have.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and unfortunately, we caught Moray a little before that happened. I would have loved to have asked him about that specifically because it was just a seminal kind of moment. I was in the building for that. I was sitting courtside watching uh, all that transpire. And I got to tell you, it was pretty obvious early on. I think I turned to my dad, who was with me at the game, said to him somewhere in the you know early early first quarter, I said, well, this is crazy. He's got like six, four and four This is definitely going to be one of those triple-double nights. And then triple-double with a career high in scoring at 53 points, tying the career high in assists, setting all kinds of records across the league. It's become pretty commonplace this season for James Harden. And I think that Daryl speaks to that. I hope he doesn't mind me calling him Daryl, but speaks to the to the absolute value that he has and how you really can't put a price tag on. He's one of those. Uh, Daryl referred to him as a top five guy. You know, he's even superstar. said top three. Yeah, superstar, right. elite type talent. He is the guy that you basically dream and hope and go out and try to get as a general manager. And having him here now, having Coach D'Antoni here, I think we're seeing the the full capabilities that he has and what he can become. And it is. Thrilling. I mean, there was really nothing quite like watching him hoist those shots, dish those assists, just do everything, touch the ball every time down the floor, be incredibly involved and have it be such a success. I'm, I'm thrilled about it. I was thrilled to be in attendance for that game.
1: Yeah, you know, we weren't too high on the Mike D'Antoni hire. No, uh, not at all. During the summer when it was announced. But I I think, you know, as Daryl Morey will tell us in just a little bit, uh, it's been a phenomenal hire. And his system works perfectly, especially for a guy like James Harden. I mean, you look at his career numbers. This year, his uh, minutes per game are up, which to me might be a little bit concerning as you get, you know, potentially toward a deep playoff run. Because the Western Conference playoffs, you you know, you win that first round matchup. You're going to either go against San Antonio or you're going to go against uh, Golden State. And, you know, that's... I
0: don't don't fear San Antonio this year. though.
1: Really? No. Hmm. All right. Well, you know, I I think they're such a well-coached team that Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be a physically tough series. So, you know, I I worry that the minutes per game might uh, impact Harden a little bit. But one thing that we've noticed is uh, that he's been getting a lot of rest uh, in the fourth quarter uh, recently in games. But you look at his numbers this year, his field goal percentage is up. Three-point percentage is actually down just a little bit this year. Free throws down just a little bit. But his points per game are up nearly seven points this year. Uh, Rebounds, he went from, you know, his career stats are 4.8 rebounds a game. He's now averaging 8.1 rebounds a game. Uh, The career assist number, to me, is just Uh, mind-blowing. 5.3 assists per game coming into the season this year. He's averaging 12. So he's just having a remarkable year. But another guy in the NBA that is having, uh, you know, a phenomenal season is Russell Westbrook in Oklahoma City. Granted, the Thunder... Are not on the same level as the Rockets, who went 15 and two to set a franchise record and uh, you know win total in December. Uh, Westbrook is having a phenomenal season in his own right. He's averaging 30, 10 and 10, a triple double a night it seems. But you know those two players are absolutely phenomenal to watch, and uh, Russell Westbrook will be heading to the Toyota Center soon for uh, another great matchup against him and uh, James Harden.
0: Yeah, and and you think they came from the same team, too, and just how poorly managed that situation was when you have two of these, or at the time, three elite top-shelf talents playing on one squad, and and, you know they they got fleeced in a trade by Daryl Morey, who we'll hear from in a minute. Not about that. We didn't call him to have him gloat about his uh, trade successes, but but certainly was one and a feather in his cap, and and you look at James Harden because one of the most electric, exciting players in the league to watch. Russell Westbrook, definitely the other half of that. So if you look at MVP voting, right, a lot of MVP
1: buzz early for Russell Westbrook. Seems like there's less for Harden. I don't know. What are you hearing? You know, a lot of the stuff that I'm hearing is, you know, Harden is starting to make him, like, submit himself as the leader. And I think that's been coming on the last few weeks, just especially because of the Rockets, you know, that impressive run that they had in December. And we'll see if they can carry that over uh, as the calendar turns to uh, 2017. But I I would probably say that, Westbrook is more valuable. Gosh, I can't even say that. Like, I think both of them are phenomenal players this year. I think it's going to be 1A, 1B, similar to what we saw two years ago with uh, Steph Curry getting the nod over uh, James Harden. I think it's going to be something like that. It's going to be very, very tight. Uh, but Westbrook I mean just the numbers that he's putting up night in and night out he's the only source of offense on that team Uh, but I will tell you that uh, the Rockets this year I think that they have a lot of pieces that complement Harden's you know skill set and I love seeing him at the point guard position and you know that allows Beverly to focus a little bit more on defense Uh, you know that that sets up guys like Anderson who's I think having a great year he he scored 25 points I believe the night that you Mm -hmm. were at the game Um, but yeah and and tell me something honestly did you have any uh, money writing on Anderson's performance
0: and I did you had oh, okay, so explain this to the listeners. Obviously, I knew about this ahead of time. <laughs> what what is this deep dark hole that you've descended into? Where you ble- is, it was a hundred dollars, right? Am I not mistaken? dollars. Uh, 50. I, 50. I think it was a hundred. I think you said something. It's a hundred, but fifty dollars on uh, Ryan Anderson's performance. Which you walked away a winner in that. Yeah, I think it's sending all the wrong lessons to you. I'm sitting here looking <laughs> in the eyes. You've been one of my friends for a long, long time. I am sincerely concerned about the place you're at, where you are betting. Not insignificant sums of money on Ryan Anderson's performance on a night in, night out basis, dude. What's going on with you? So it was, it was
1: a, it was a prop bet, uh huh. Clearly, Uh, yeah. My roommate and I, we've been making like random prop bets uh, the past, you know, few Rockets games, and the Rockets have actually treated me pretty well uh, the past few few days. Um, But Ryan Anderson, I believe the over under for his point total was like twelve and a half, and you know, just seeing how he had performed, you'd uh, be a sucker not to put money down, basically. Is what yeah that, that, that was my logic Um but yeah I just figured you know second second straight game that the Rockets had you know back-to-back that you know I, I just felt that it was the right play and he had 25 points and uh, I won some money so yeah thank you Ryan Anderson but to my point about Harden he just makes this entire team better he's elevating them to um A level in which they are contenders in the Western Conference. And, you know, I believe they're, what, three and a half, four and a half games back of uh, Golden State right now. I don't know that they're going to get to that one seed line. but So think
0: about Russell Westbrook and James Harden ostensibly do the same thing for their respective teams.
1: They are both basically
0: the point guard and first scoring option as well, uh, which is an interesting place to be, I think. It's It's rare.
1: it for, is. For there, a point There guard. are
0: cycles, I think, in the NBA where it becomes more popular. Allen Iverson, obviously, would be like your classic example of a guy that was really dependent on to score. And, and he did. He could pass, but that wasn't necessarily his primary role. He was there to get points for them. So it, there have been cycles of, of point guard play. I've always been. I've loved like Rondo's game for a long time. Like if I'm playing really? NBA 2K17, I love having a point guard that is a pure passer, that's a creative passer, a guy that can create, but isn't necessarily going to knock down like your long range shots. He's, like he's also a guy that turns the ball over too much. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking like peak Rondo back when I was playing video games, too. but. Exactly. But that's that's kind of my in my head my ideal style. Steve Nash, another guy I really love. I love playing you know his avatar on these older games that I own. But uh, but so it's it's weird for me. That's not my ideal role, but it is beautiful watching James Harden and Russell Westbrook do these things. So think about this. I've got
1: their stats lined up here. What what to you is the most important stat or metric? So for me, I'm going to look at plus minus. And when I look at Westbrook compared to Harden, Westbrook is his plus wow. and minus is at one seventy seven, and Are I think Harden at is at two fifty five. Uh, yeah, why I, is that I, your number? Just, you know, looking at advanced <laughs> metrics, but
0: but that's not an advanced metric. It's not even indicative of anything, I don't think. I'd never pay attention to plus-minus. Alright, all right. so what do you think is the most important? Uh, win shares would probably be the most important for me. Uh, and if you look this year, uh, 7.6, James Harden versus 5.5 5 for Russell Westbrook. And it makes sense, because if you think about win shares, right, the number of wins you've helped to create, right. well, the Rockets have a lot more wins. So that's, Absolutely. To me, that's the most important metric, and, and that just speaks to the idea in this MVP race. One of the things they do consider every year is, is your team continuing for the playoffs? Are they yes. one of the top teams in the league? That yes. does really Matter for the Rockets, both are yes for Oklahoma City. I would say that right now, at least where they're sitting, the answer would have to be no. What's What's okay? So, win
1: shares I like, you like plus minus for some reason. <laughs> Go figure. What's what's another important number here? Well, I, I, I think really quickly, I, I want to look at points responsible for it because you look at the other night and Harden with his you know absurd assist, assist numbers and absurd point total. I believe the Rockets, well, they score what 120, 130, something like that. Yeah. Anyways, he contributed, he either set up or scored on 95 of those points. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. And he just makes every single person better on that team. And, and, you know, just when I watch the Rockets, I love the ball movement. I mean, just it's, you know, they do such a great job moving the ball, finding the open shots. And, you know, Maury's going to talk about that in a little bit, you know, when we dive into uh, metrics and him kind of being, you know, on the forefront of advanced metrics in the NBA. But gosh, to me, I think 26 wins and nine losses, Three and a half games back at Golden State. You know, Oklahoma City is 21-13. That's respectable. They're sitting on the five line right now. But, yeah, Harden's my MVP without question. He deserves it. And you look, all the all the efficiency
0: metrics here, like field goal percentage, uh, 452 to 432, three-point percentage, 362 to 332. I mean, across the board, uh, two-point percentage. Russell Westbrook shooting under 50% from two-point range because he takes a lot of jump shots kind of near the elbow. Uh, I think that's probably the reason for it. He's not missing wide open layups any more than anybody else is. But 537 to 470 in a, uh, effective field goal percentage. I mean, just all across the board, Harden is doing a little bit less in terms of scoring and a much more efficient clip. And he's dishing out the, uh, the assists more, which I think speaks to the quality of talent around him. So right. almost comparable seasons. Uh, I think that Harden has been arguably more valuable to a more valuable team but the teammates have a lot to do with it. So I think at this point, to me, I don't know if you can make a definitive argument. Who I would rather have on my team without question is James Harden. I love the intangible things I'm seeing this year, how he talks about being happy with his teammates, how he talks about taking leadership over the team. I know he always wanted that control. And I feel like to an extent, you kind of have to have that in the NBA. You have to have sort of a head of the snake for the players. And, and Harden's unequivocally it. And he's really taken to that role. I see him coaching up guys out there when they're running plays or they're kind of the, the whistleblowers are in between plays. He's kind of setting guys up, teaching them, and taking some responsibility. I really enjoy watching that. So if you're asking me, I'd rather have James Harden on my team, no question, than Russell Westbrook.
1: Yeah. And, and, and I think it was just a steal for Daryl Moore to make that trade a few years ago when uh, Harden was sitting. As you know, the sixth man on that bench for uh, Oklahoma City, and it, I
0: remember here in town having doubts and people expressing. We weren't like, sure oh,
1: because it was such a huge contract. And, and what is he going to become? He's a sixth
0: man. Will he be more than that? And and now we're sitting here talking about you know he's the MVP. Probably deserved the MVP at least one of the last well, couple. I years. mean, the
1: players voted in the MVP. Yeah, well, so we, and I, I think that's <laughs> maybe a little more impressive than. Uh, I think it's more impressive to have your peers give you that honor than you know members of the media. So, uh, but one of you know just kind of diving onto the Rockets just for a moment, I think we're all in agreement that Harden is the MVP at least so far this season. I would have to say so. Um, but one of the guys that I've been impressed with recently Austin is Rivers. Well, <laughs> Montrezl Harrell, yeah. uh, you know, Clint Capella, uh, I was a little concerned with him going out. And I, I wondered whether or not the Rockets could maintain their consistency. And you look at Harrell, what he's done. He's averaging 15.3 points per game uh, in the six games since Capella's injury. Is that right? Yeah, it's something like what? 66.1% field goal percentage. So uh, Daryl Morrison sent out a tweet. Uh, The other night, uh, I believe it was December 30th after their blowout win, uh, (laughs) he just, you know, sent a tweet directed toward Montrez with just a few exclamation points. So I think he's having a phenomenal campaign. Gordon's having a hell of a year. Uh, Anderson, uh, I think he's having a great season. So the big key for the Rockets this year is I think they can contend in the West as long as they stay healthy.
0: And they haven't been particularly healthy. You talked about Clint Capella's been out. Uh, obviously, Patrick Beverly spent the majority of the first part of the season out. You know They've been dealing and working through injuries because they just have the most dynamic setup man in the league, who also happens to be one of the top five most uh, effective scorers in the league. To have that combination of talents is unreal. What I haven't heard this year has been a lot of maligning of his defense. Have you seen the gifts or the fines? no. Yeah, I think when you're when you're contending for that MVP spot, people tend to give you a little bit of a break on defense. It's
1: what he's been his whole career. I don't think that he suddenly stepped up his defense. Um it is better but he can play defense if needed, but I think that the Rockets have a little more talent this year on the defensive mm-hmm. side of the ball. And what was it? I believe Hunter and I were having this conversation at the end of the day, but he was telling me that uh, D'Antoni's brother said that the best defense, the best defensive team is whoever scores more points. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's been accurate with the Rockets. This year. I mean, when you put up, what, 140 the other night? I mean, you look at the over-unders for games. Uh, and they're pretty
0: consistently
1: up there in that very above high, 115 range. Very yeah. high. I mean, just the, the efficiency that they're running on offense this year is just mind-blowing. And you know what? They do jack a lot of threes, you know, because that happened with the Knicks game that I was watching. They were over fifty percent in the first but they half. They don't live and die by the three. Well Because I mean, even even that when they when they played the Spurs a few weeks ago and it was a two-point game and they shot sixteen percent from three, yeah. Yeah. And I think that says a lot about the Rockets and their potential this year.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean they have a lot of versatility there. I I do think to some extent you do kind of live and die by the three. If they if they've worked themselves into a deep hole early in the first half of a game then they're only going to be able to shoot themselves out of it using the three. So right. if, if you see in the first half when the three is falling, it's a beautiful thing. When it's not, it's kind of a struggle. And I think that's just the team as constructed. It is very much a mathematical um, uh, by design sort of facet of this team that they are kind of going to live and die by the three. But it's working for they They have got good three-point shooters on the team finally.
1: It's amazing to see what this, this uh, philosophy leads to when you have guys can actually knock down the deep shot. Yeah, no joke. And you know, speaking of another team right now uh, within the city of Houston that is uh, entering the playoffs, that's the Houston Texans finishing at a pedestrian nine and seven again for the third straight year under Bill O'Brien. Uh, but a little concerning uh, with the loss to Tennessee, not necessarily because it was twenty-four to seventeen. I mean, the Texans really didn't have anything to play for. They, you know, they rested Lamar Miller, J.D. Clowney was out of the game, uh, but Tom Savage uh, left the game with a concussion uh and brock osweiler had to come in he went 21 of 40 253 yards just 6.3 yards per attempt or, or per, per completion his uh quarterback rating was 80.5 that's that's not great but tom savage t- didn't look that great either his qb rating uh was at 67.2 but uh, i think the texans got a little bit of a break uh they are actually going to be pay- playing the oakland raiders at the twelve and four Oakland Raiders, who uh, lost out on the number two seed yesterday, as uh, Kansas City won the game, uh, won their playoff or won their uh, week seventeen game, and Oakland lost to Denver Broncos twenty four to six. But uh, Connor Cook against either Tom Savage or Brock Osweiler mm. that has probably got to be the worst quarterback matchup ever for first round game. I mean, the Texans are a two and a half point favorite uh, entering the game. It's actually going to take place Saturday here in Houston at energy stadium. But did you see the outkick the coverage article about the, the price tag for this game? What is it?
0: Uh, what would you guess? Because uh, uh, the, the author here, which is Clay Travis, the guy we read and enjoy a right. lot, like, he's welcome on the show anytime if he wants to come on. Clay, if you're listening, give us a call. Yeah, absolutely, man. We'd love to hear from you. But, um, but Clay said that he thought this was part of the deal existing between ESPN and the NFL, and he was wrong. They're actually uh, paying a price tag for this game specifically. <laughs> he comes up with a number he, he theorizes they're going to lose. What do you think the price tag for
1: the game is, though? A single wild card game? Oh... I'm trying to think back. What was it last year when Yahoo streamed the games online? Was it like 20 million? So I'm guessing it's got to be higher since it's TV. Right. Let's go 65 mil. It is $100 million. Oh, my gosh. Uh,
0: and ESPN can only make around $25 million airing this wild card game. So ESPN will lose, according to Clay Travis, $75 million televising one playoff football game. And then he punctuates it, holy, period, shit, period. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is a debacle. And it is, uh, it's tied into a thing we've talked about a lot before, which is the changing nature of this landscape of live sports. I mean, it's an incredibly valuable commodity. But I do think it's overvalued, in a sense, in these TV contracts. I'm also shocked that it's not included in ESPN's deal. They had to pay for this specifically, and they're going to lose $75 million on it. It's sort of embarrassing to be a part of that as a Houston. I would love for that to be a more valuable game where people really have to tune in to see the Houston Texans. But, boy, are they not... Um, a hot ticket item right
1: now. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just kind of disappointing when you look at you know the Texans. I mean nine and seven. You don't know what your quarterback situation is going to look like. But the, the one thing that you do look at is the defense, and you're going to have a fully rested Jadevian Clowney. Uh, I think you know AJ Boye uh, being injured in the game on Sunday. You you kind of worry about his health a little bit. The Texans had Monday off, so I, I think that the defense can get them far in the playoffs. And actually, they should have stat during the Texans game the other day, and the announcers were kind of laughing at it. But the last four years that uh, a team had the number one defense they played in the super bowl or either won the super bowl i don't think that's going to happen for the texans because if they win that game against oakland more than likely they're going to head up to new england and tom brady is just having a phenomenal year he set an nfl record for uh, amount of touchdowns i think it was touchdown ratio to interception ratio and you know he did he did that in about 12 games i mean I don't see anyone in the AFC beating New England. I mean, do you see, you know, maybe the Chiefs giving them a push or the Texans? Do you think the Texans' defense can slow down Brady? No, absolutely not. (laughs) I don't think anybody can slow down Brady. If anybody could, the Texans obviously
0: have a a more than capable, more than competent defense, even with the injuries they've sustained. But... I think that all of it's cyclical in football. You, you have to play well offensively in order to keep your defense off the field and keep them from getting exhausted and just absolutely battered and beat up. So I think in any sort of uh, war of attrition like it's going to
1: become, I absolutely would gamble on New England to <laughs> to prevail in that by a wide margin. So I think both of us are in agreement that New England is going to come out of the AFC, but when you look at the NFC playoff picture, for me, uh, you know, the Cowboys, obviously the number one seed. What Dak and Zeke have done this year behind that offensive line has just been phenomenal.
0: I think having names like
1: Dak and Zeke also helped too. Oh, I think so too. I feel like my
0: buddies almost.
1: Like, it's like a <laughs> show it, friendly. It's you know? great to see two guys that were playing college football one year ago be able to have this type of impact that they've had. I mean, they're both having MVP caliber seasons and I think one of them probably would win the MVP if they weren't teammates right. and, you know, going to take away from votes. But uh, the number two seed is the Atlanta Falcons and Matt Ryan, I think, probably will win the MVP. Uh, he's just, you know, had a phenomenal year at quarterback and that offense is just rolling on all cylinders You don't think right it becomes now. a Tom Brady FU kind of award for all the nonsense that people put him through? I think a lot of people would come of Brady had it not been for him just playing 12 games. But uh, I, I think but it almost he is the most, But yeah, I mean, but you look at what Garoppolo did, you know, um, three and one. Yeah. No. So he's a valuable player. Don't get me wrong. I would love to have Tom Brady, even as like a 45-year-old quarterback here at, at, for the Texans. He'd There's probably, a lot of narrative value to yeah, Tom Brady winning yeah. that award, I think. But I, I probably think it goes to Matt Ryan, and I, I, I think that's good for him. I mean, the Falcons worked their way up to the number two seed. But when I look at the NFC playoff picture, I'm not sure that Dallas is the favorite. Uh, you know, the road through the Super Bowl goes through Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they do have home field advantage. But the game that really intrigues me is that Giants-Green Bay game. Uh, you know, Green Bay is, what, writing a six-game winning streak. The Giants are the only team uh, to beat the Cowboys... Uh, Twice this year, I'm not, not, you know, I'm not really going to look at the Eagles game the other day (laughs) as, you know, an indictment on the Cowboys. I mean, they were arresting everybody. Tony Romo got some minutes. Uh, Mark Sanchez got some minutes. Zeke set out. So uh, that's that's a preseason game for me. Okay. (laughs) Uh, The only team to beat the Cowboys this year are the Giants. Now, can they do that three times? I'm not sure. Uh, is there a quarterback playing a better brand of football right now than Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay? Maybe Matt Ryan. Uh, but, you know, you also have uh, Detroit and Seattle. You can't underestimate what, uh, you know, Seattle has done the last few years, getting to the Super Bowl and back-to-back seasons. Uh, you know, not obviously not last year, but, you know, two, two out of the last three years, they've made the Super Bowl. Uh, that NFC, to me, just looks so compelling. And if I'm going to pick a team out of the NFC... I'm going to go with the Giants. I'm ride or die Cowboys. But what I felt like I just heard
0: you working through was the rationale for your next betting spree. I, I thought no, I just, no. each one of those was attached to data I, I, points and games <laughs> and dollar signs and values that I feel like you're going to go do because I'm worried about you, man. I'm honestly worried about you. Betting on Ryan Anderson to score more than 12 and a half points. Let's bring it back to that in case people have forgotten that
1: you actually <laughs> bet on that. So we will, uh, you know, in our Super Bowl preview show coming up uh, the week before uh, February 5th, I believe, the big game, uh, we will go over some prop bets. We did this last yes, year, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we will I discuss think I some won of the right? prop apps. Uh, we we just discussed some of them. No, I think I won it. Well, you're pretty put, sure. You didn't put any money on it. We did didn't you? put any money on it. It was no. all for pride, but I have the most pride, so I feel like I won that. All right. Well, that works. But. Uh, uh, you know, I think uh, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun to see who ends up here at Energy Stadium in February for the Super Bowl. Uh, it's essentially going to be the Patriots and whoever else. I don't see anybody upsetting the Patriots uh, in the AFC playoffs. But uh, when we look at uh, the college football landscape right now, uh, obviously, New Year's Eve, there were two big football games with, uh, I think, two disappointing results. Uh, Alabama rolling over uh, the Washington Huskies 24 to 7. That defense just looked phenomenal. Their offense looked very, very pedestrian, in my opinion. Uh, Jalen Hurts just went 7 of 14 for 57 yards passing uh, you know Bo Scarborough was the reason why Alabama won that game he was a workhorse with 180 yards on the ground averaging about 9.5 yards a carry uh, they just completely made Jake Browning and Washington look pitiful um, but one interesting note coming out of that game Lane Kiffin is no longer the offensive coordinator for Alabama they are moving to uh Steve Sarkisian and, and you know when you look at the other game Clemson knocked off Ohio State 31 to 0 uh you know deshaun watson had a, a pretty decent game 259 yards passing he had uh, 57 yards rushing but they just blew out ohio state i believe that was the first time that urban meyer had like been shut out as a head coach uh so phenomenal win that sets up a rematch for both clemson and alabama alabama is currently a touchdown favorite in the game but when you go back and we look at our college football preview episode both you and myself picked clemson to win the national championship yep Do we still have Clemson as the national champions?
0: Uh, well, I mean, it's an interesting question. I, I I would like to stick with my pick so that I then have the vindication of being right you know, so long after the fact. I, I, I don't think it's the smart money play now at this point seeing what we've seen. So, I mean, there's a part of me that says, yeah, I'm going to stick with Clemson because if they win, I, uh, I look smarter. And I've looked really dumb on all my predictions. <laughs> I would love to have one prediction come right out of two years of doing a, a fake radio show like we do. I would love to have just one time to be right. So, yeah, I'll stick with Clemson, but no, if you're asking me, obviously, I think Alabama's the better team. Do you think that... Lane Kiffin and What is the deal with that? I'm reading that right now. I, w- I haven't heard details. What yeah. is up with late like, late to a bunch of stuff? Doesn't care apparently. And so he was, was named fired. the head coach. He
1: was he was named the head coach at Florida Atlantic right. and said that he was going to continue his coaching duties throughout the playoffs. Do you think
0: he's just he's just burning the candle at both ends trying to do too
1: many things with both teams? That's a possibility. Um, but do you think that having that change in offensive coordinator one week before the National Championship game? Is that a little bit of a distraction?
0: I hope it is, and I hope that they look absolutely terrible
1: because I would. Love well, offensively, them- I think they are going to look terrible because they look terrible against uh, Washington the other night. Yeah, right. Man, it didn't. It didn't even matter. Were they two defensive touchdowns or one? I can't remember. Uh, I, and they had the one defensive touchdown. Uh, gosh, I couldn't tell you. Point uh,
0: being, obviously, their defense, the defense is scaring but them. But I would love for them to lose the game based on the offense just being horrible, like turning the ball over, doing
1: inexplicable things. And I think that can happen because you yeah. have a quarterback. That is a freshman. Mm-hmm. He's had a decent year, but you know, they're, they're, all, all of his passes against Washington were, uh, you know, to the sidelines. They weren't. He didn't really take any chances downfield. And Clemson actually has a defense that I think is comparable. You know, maybe not the same level as Alabama, but they have a defense that shut out Ohio State. That right. was a team that uh, made the playoffs. I saw a good tweet about James Harden said he had fifty three more points in Ohio State. <laughs> that's that's accurate. <laughs> um, but yeah, they just have a, a great defensive front as well. Um, I think it's going to be a fun game. Uh, last year was a, a very memorable championship game, and I think that we could see that as we have a rematch between Clemson and Alabama. And how cool is that? A rematch. I think I think it's cool.
0: Similar to the Final Four, in which we had you know uh, two uninspiring semifinal games that hopefully will set up a really memorable incredible finals matchup which uh, but I would love to see a stop to this uh, coaching fluidity in the sense that like you take a job and you're still doing two jobs and you're kind of like it's not clearly demarcated. I would love for them to wait until the seasons are over to hire the coaches. I don't think that's that crazy. I, and I think that this, if, if Alabama suffers from this kerfuffle with Kiffin and, and bringing Sarkeesian in early and having him set up the offense, if the offense looks terrible, they lose the game, maybe that has some impact on people in the future say, hey, maybe maybe we don't let this guy go You know, until his contract is completed. Maybe we don't reach out to him. I don't know. I would love to see some sort of sea change in the way that coaches are shifted from job to job because it's doing such a disservice to not only the students, which is important, but also to the fans, I think. I think the product suffers from these guys taking other jobs early, moving on, having these weird liminal periods where they're kind of doing both jobs. It's nonsense to me. I'd love to see it stop. And maybe if Alabama
1: is just horrible offensively, then, then maybe that's a causes some people to look and say, hey. So Sarkeesian was actually named the offensive coordinator for next year. He was going to be the replacement. Uh, he's been on staff in like sort of a, a consulting role all season. So I don't know that the offense is going to change all that much. The players are very familiar with him. But I'm just concerned about the, um, you know, just the look of having a coach. Just a distraction because I think distractions do matter for eighteen to twenty-two year olds. If this was an NFL, I, I you know, I'd, I think it would just business as usual. Yeah, but I, I think. I think this game's going to come down to defense and who makes more plays and uh, who turns the ball over. Uh, Deshaun Watson has turned the ball over a lot this year as the uh, quarterback for Clemson. He has, uh, I believe, thrown the most interceptions in the last two years of all NCAA yeah, Division one right. quarterbacks. And so I think that's going to be uh, if Deshaun Watson can't control the ball and limit his turnovers, I think that could be the difference. And both you and I pick Clemson. I'm going to stick with the pick and uh, let's see a new national champion. Let's see somebody finally dethrone the SEC in Alabama. Mm-hmm. But Anyways, moving on to other things, we will have Daryl Morey joining us on the Weekly Brew podcast here in just a few moments. But, uh, uh Kevin, uh, We Desserts, if you are wanting to watch the college football playoff, if you are wanting to watch the NFL playoffs, stop by We, right?
0: Yeah, We Desserts, 3411 Kirby. Uh, everything's delicious. Everything is 10% cheaper than it would be for some average schmuck because you listen to this podcast. Just go in there, tell them you listen to the Weekly Brew podcast, they'll hook you up. They got, uh, uh, beignets they got uh, cakes pies or you name yeah, it whatever you want yeah essentially. anything you want tell them what you want and they'll make it happen for you it's like willy wonka's chocolate factory.
1: <laughs> and also we want to remind you that you can follow us on social media as well just search weekly brewcasts on pretty much every single social media channel we are there also check out our website weeklybrewcast.com but or at, follow me on twitter at k, k Michael Michael Cook, Cook. And i'll give you a there pro- you go. A it's full tour of all of our social media and tell you everything you need to know about the show personally <laughs> <laughs> but uh daryl Morey coming up next i'm really looking forward to this I am also looking forward to reliving what we have already done with the listeners. It's going to be a very nice time. So as mentioned, we have a packed show on deck. Time to sit back, relax, and enjoy Daryl Morey. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. Joining us now on the Weekly Brew podcast is Daryl Morey, general manager of the Houston Rockets. And Daryl, we appreciate you taking the time to join us on the show this week. And as we reflect on the first, you know, 40% of the season, the Rockets currently trail just the Warriors in San Antonio in the Western Conference. And, you know, that's a, that's after a difficult, road-heavy schedule. And, you know, with a coaching change during the offseason and acquisitions like Gordon Anderson joining the team – do you think the Rockets have gelled together quicker than, you know, even you could have imagined?
2: Quite a bit. Yeah. We, we hoped, uh, you know, Coach D'Antoni was playing a similar style uh, to what we've played in the past. And we, uh, you know, we felt like his expertise would add a lot, but uh, his expertise has been really off the charts and, you know, the new players have really gelled. We, we were hoping to be better than you know, eleven and nine or better after our first ten game or twenty games, which uh you know, we were the most difficult in the league and we were hoping to take off from there. And the fact that we, you know, have played so well has been uh been fantastic.
0: So you're a data guy. It's obviously what you kind of built your name and your reputation on coming from MIT Sloan and so forth. And, 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 you know, what's been made a lot of this season has been the team's chemistry. I've read quotes from Harden talking about how happy he is, how happy everyone in the organization seems to be. And I'm just curious, can you kind of plan for chemistry? Do do you have any way to analyze or to to have data from that and try to build chemistry? Because it does seem like that may be the biggest difference from last season to this season.
2: Well, I think obviously you have to win. So, I mean, not there aren't many good chemistry teams that aren't winning. So,
0: <laughs> luckily
2: the chemistry question and the uh, and the winning question are sort of tangled together. I would say you can you can plan for chemistry a little bit in, in the sense that you want to have players that uh, you know their roles don't overlap where there's sort of a clear definition of roles. Um, you have a mix of veterans and young players on your bench often helps. So i don't think there's there's obviously no uh you know strict you know do a b and c and then you'll have good chemistry but uh you know having done this uh i think this is my 15th year overall in the league i think you can get a sense for what what kinds of things are going to lead to better chemistry and what kinds of things often don't but uh sometimes you, you can be wrong i thought uh last season for example i thought you know it would be a good chemistry season we uh brought most of the team back and and we're bringing in some pieces that we thought we were missing and it didn't work out this year you know we brought a new coach and brought in several new players i thought would fit together and they have so um it is a big focus of ours but it's also
0: very hard to predict so one of the stories that's been going around is the CBA, obviously. Um, you know I read Jonathan Fagan's story on The Chronicle, a uh, co-worker of mine. I also work at The Chronicle. But he talked about you know the Supermax contract, said that you guys with the Rockets organization were responsible for sort of pushing this, uh, this new amendment to the CBA in order to help you kind of keep uh, the core players that you have there. Uh, did you have Harden in mind when you were kind of envisioning that? And how important is that going to be in terms of keeping him here and keeping uh, some of the momentum and the continuity that you guys have with Harden at the helm?
2: Well, I've seen the reports of the new provisions, but uh i I think we're still under the league's uh, no comment uh, orders on the c b a so i don't I don't think I can comment on anything
1: directly. Totally fair. And, you know, just kind of talking a little bit about the D-League, I know that, you know, I, I know you can't speak specifics regarding to the CBA, but, you know, the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, you know, you've, you've had a lot of success with them uh, in terms of developing players and perhaps testing and evaluating uh, new offensive schemes. And, you know, with the, the the speculation that the the new CBA is going to increase salaries and potentially keep guys in the D league for a little bit longer than say, you know, going to Europe, how much do you think that would help uh, for the Rockets in terms of long-term success in terms of, uh, you know, building new offensive schemes and allowing to test new metrics? And- yeah. I mean,
2: the, 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 closer we can get to a
1: baseball like
2: system with uh, a minor leagues where the teams, you know, hold rights there, the, the better, I think, uh, I think I've, I've seen that there's some steps being taken in that direction and, and, we think that's very positive. To, to your point, we've, you know, we've you know won the title twice and been in the finals three times over, you know, the past few number of years in the D-League. And lots of good players have come through there. And, and if we can hold more rights to those players, the better. And, uh, you know, the, paying the players more money will make that league more competitive. So uh, I think there's a lot of positive things that could come down the
1: pike for the D-League. Daryl, you're also the co-founder of the uh, MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference which you know provides a forum to discuss the increasing role of analytics in the sports industry and you know you just mentioned baseball and I'm a huge baseball guy uh, you know diehard Astros fans but I love the metrics and the strategy that coaches use you know to evaluate the game in various you know situational at bats but you were on the forefront of bringing analytics into the NBA and how will metrics continue to elevate the level of play and competition in the NBA and how will you know, forums like yours at MIT help facilitate that growth?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the questions we have are the same and that, you know, we're all trying to win the title. We're all trying to up our probability of that. Uh, Some of the tools have obviously been different. And, uh, you know, baseball has always been, you know, leading the way, as you mentioned. Uh, I think basketball is a pretty close second. Basketball, I like, is sort of the best mix of both, you know, sort of the science of using uh, information to help your decisions, and and it's also an extremely interdependent sport with, as we talked about earlier, with chemistry, with roles, and um, it's a it's a there's a lot more advantage to be gained through system and style through meshing of players in basketball than than in baseball. So, yeah, know, I, I, you know, both at the league level, the league's now using it to to help enhance you know the rule making in the sport. You know, make modifications to the rules such that know, the sports more appealing to fans, things like that. So I I continue to see, you know, using information to help make decisions works really well. It's been proven industry (laughs) after industry. So, so I think, you know, we're just sort of late to the party a little bit in some ways.
0: You know, it's funny you say that. I, I kinda think back to when you were hired. You know, I recall there being like some sense of hostility or alienation. I think Deep Blue was a nickname that, that some of the radio disc jockeys gave you, and I don't think it was meant to be flattering either. But my, yeah, my that was Lance, okay. Lance and John, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I honestly I mean, it seems actually like it would be flattering, but just the tone would let me know that it wasn't. But it does seem like things are changing. I, I think that your reputation to me seems Good different. Sound effects, too, like... <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I mean, it's sort of a, almost a begrudging homage, but I mean, there's even in the country, if you kind of generalize, there's this intellectualism or this animosity against intellectualism that I think you can kind of point to. But but just within the sphere of basketball, it does seem like there has been a progression. Have you sensed that hostility going away? Is the attitude of the culture changing? Is is the idea of using information, as simple as that seems, becoming more accepted within uh, you know the field of major sports? Well I think I just speak to basketball. I think of the kids in
2: the front lines of baseball, there was a lot of hostility because a lot of what you know folks like Billy Bean and Bill James and Sandy Alderson and you can name a lot of the pioneers, you know a lot of their findings were that the things were doing being done wrong. I think in basketball in the front lines if you get if you abstract away from the media folks you know who are sort of always sort of driving with the rearview mirror and you look at the front lines of you know, the the way the game is played. In basketball, a lot of the analysis was actually proving the coaches right and proving a lot of the people who were in the game a long time right that there were these players like Shane Battier who, even though they didn't put up quote-unquote traditional box score numbers, had a huge impact on winning the game. And so I think there wasn't as much hostility in basketball because a lot of what was found uh, agreed with some of the dogma that uh, coaches had agreed with in the past. And so once you have... A foundation of agreement and a foundation of, um, you know, where you're looking at the world the same way allows each side to learn from each other. It was just in baseball where there was this, you know, sort of outsiders-insiders view and more of a hostility that it made it harder for baseball
1: uh, to to grow and to be as sort of uh, on the same page with a lot of the analytics folks. Daryl, one of the things that I like about, you know, watching the Rockets in the franchise is just the the player development aspect. I mean, we've seen guys like Clint Capella the last 3 years just emerge and, you know, despite his injury, he was having a, you know, great start to the season. But another name that sticks out to me is Sam Decker who, you know, missed a lot of time last year with back surgery, but you know, he's kind of emerged as a two-way player this season. Spaces the floor well, consistent shooter, you know, he passes pretty well and, you know, even on the defensive end, the Rockets, you know, they they average 2.4 points per 100 possession per better. How do you forecast his role with the team moving forward?
2: Yeah, I, I think it'll it's going to grow pretty pretty rapidly. It's already grown to much bigger than we thought, and his his effort, energy, and, and play on both ends, really defensive and offensively, has been uh, quite a bit ahead of you know what uh, pretty much everyone anticipated. You know, I think even if you go back to July, where yeah, he's still recovering from that injury and still not one hundred percent. So I think of both the three and the four, he's played very effective at both positions and uh, his role is going to continue to expand uh, as the season goes on.
0: So I'm curious, I read a Michael Lewis piece about you which I thought was fantastic and we'll, we'll post a link to that on the Facebook as well but, but you talked about some kind of watershed moments I think in rethinking your approach to the game Joey Dorsey was mentioned and his, his age being a factor in the way he competed in college and then uh, Marcus Gasol, you know, the nickname idea there have been these kind of moments of evolution in the way that you look at and analyze data and I just wonder, uh, you know, where are you at now? What If there's one thing that is most important about a player that you're looking at or analyzing or one thing that is the indicator for success at the next level where is that now where do you stand on that at the moment for the draft you mean specifically yeah for, for drafting players eh, coming into the league yeah
2: I, th- I think probably like one of the biggest you know one of the biggest things that's overlooked um, that I think you know gets debated heavily is sort of the best player available versus uh, versus um, you know just taking the, the uh, versus the fit on the roster and things like that and, and you know for sure, best player available has a much better history, much better, um, you know, much better track record than than any other approach. Uh, that said, I mean, the, getting early cycles in the league and and getting where you get started on the learning curve of playing and getting feedback from coaches and watching video of your play and sort of the cycle that Sam Decker's on right now that uh, I was quite worried he wasn't on last year because of the injury. Um, those, those early cycles can actually determine your success more, more than necessarily your raw talent, uh, at the, at the college level. So I would say just in terms of like evolution of things, I would say, you know, we probably do factor in, you know, a player's ability to get early, early rotation minutes, a little bit higher than maybe in the
0: past. So, uh, you know, I know uh, obviously you can't speak to any player currently under contract or anything like that, but there has been buzz uh, that you've got, been in some trade talks. I know that you're a guy that's always looking and wanting what's best for the roster. So in a general sense, what, what are the areas that you feel need to improve with this team? Because it's a fantastic early season record, but not quite maybe with the Warriors. Obviously, it's a team that, that a lot of guys are looking up to as being the uh, prohibitive favorite for the Western Conference. What are the areas that you feel like you need to improve if you're going to make some kind of a move later, later on here? Well, I think if we're fully healthy, our, our
2: path to upgrade is pretty tricky right now.
0: I mean, when you're winning more than
2: two-thirds of your games, generally, like, any like, change to a rotation player that's, that's you, you know, you add one person who's better, at certain things are going to actually have, you know, weaknesses in other areas. So, we're actually in a tricky area to improve, so a lot of the areas we can right now are if we do take an injury like we are to Clint, you know, how do we shore up our big spot? If we do take an injury to either, you know, James or Pat or or Eric, how do we shore up the guard spot? Uh, The wing spot, we have a little more depth there that we feel comfortable with. So, I think there's both, you know, probably more likely than anything, it's probably some minor move where you're trying to shore up um, you know, who's playing if we're in an injury situation because upgrading our rotation roster is going to be it's going to be tricky. You almost have to look at star-level players are the only ones uh, that can do that. And those so are I, I read people. also
0: that same Michael Lewis piece that you sort of, uh, I think it was in reference to Kyle Lowry when, when you made the, the move that got you a draft pick, which ultimately ended up leading to the Harden piece and so forth and so on, that you assign draft values to all the players currently on the roster. I, just in a numerical sense, if you can, how valuable is James Harden? What would it take if there is anything in the world that could acquire him?
2: Yeah, I mean when when you're in the top five of the league, like he is and arguably top three or, or yeah, top three I think uh, as well. Um there really isn't an amount of things so so you know, his you know, his uh his draft value would be uh, asymptotic basically. So <laughs> you know, I I think you, you do a lot of the You do what we do in terms of drafting, signing, and everything to get one of those players. That's really sort of the goal. So there's really no – there's not a chart like in football where, you know, you trade this draft pick for that draft pick. There's really no chart for uh, the top players. You can't win without them. You may as well not even show up to play on a given night if you don't have one of these top ten players in the league. And uh, when you have one, there's really no amount of things you can trade to get them
0: more or less what I figured. It's a good place to be, certainly. He's one of the most electric, exciting players to watch in the league, and I think that uh, that the, his performance this season has definitely re-energized the fan base. Well, one reason we wanted to have you on is we read, along with a lot of other people, Hunter's article uh, about you and about musical theater, and I think maybe the biggest revelation in that article, which we discussed last week on the show, was uh, an impending project, uh, Small Ball. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, it's early days. Um, you know, it's... Uh... It's just a producing type thing where I've, uh, I've gotten to know, um, I've gotten to know uh, and uh, Tony, uh, and Meryl who are working on it, and uh, you know it's just something that uh, has been something I've worked on. I, I, I'm giving a terrible sales pitch because I wasn't wasn't really prepared. <laughs> wasn't wasn't prepared to be asked about it. So the stay tuned, uh, uh, things will be unfolding down the road.
1: Daryl, we have one last question for you. If we're having this conversation in July, if you can just fill in the blank, the 2016-17 Rocket season will be a success if.
2: Well, I mean, if you're talking about July, then then we'd want to have one title. I would say that <laughs> uh, um, you know our goals right now are to get home court in the first round and um, and advance and and get as deep as possible. And if we can get past the Western Conference Finals that we did a couple of years ago, that would be fantastic. And once you're in the once you're in the finals, then anything can happen.
1: So, well, we definitely hope to see the Rockets in the finals. And uh, Daryl, we appreciate you for taking the time and joining us this week on the Weekly Brew podcast. Thanks for man. I appreciate it. Closing time. We said this was episode 75, and the first episode of 2017. And we had a home run guest for the Weekly Brew podcast, Daryl Morey. A slam dunk guest, maybe that would be more appropriate. But we did talk a little. He's bit a three baseball. point guest. Yeah, <laughs> we, we we did talk a little bit of baseball with Daryl Morey. Uh, Briefly with like sabermetrics. Very briefly. (laughs) Uh, Most baseball I would allow in a basketball (laughs) conversation. But Daryl Morey, great interview. Absolutely phenomenal talk with him. Yeah, and and a guy that I
0: just enjoy terrifically, and a big fan of his work as well. So particularly nice to have him on. You know, sometimes I pretend to be a little nice to the guests, or a little nicer than I would be, say if I met them on the street or what have you. But uh, in this case, not at all. I have a lot of respect for Daryl Morey and the job he's done. I was I was kind of entertained by uh, how immediately he knew what I was talking about when I mentioned his old nickname, Deep Blue, <laughs> and he was able to fill in some of the details, like the sound effects they used to put on the radio and stuff like that. Guy remembers it. He's not. I don't know. It's it's charming to me because I remember when I'm slighted, and he doesn't seem bitter or angry about it. But he certainly hasn't forgotten. So I, I I was entertained by that, and I enjoyed that. And I, uh, you know, just if you're talking about Daryl Morey, be aware he hears a lot and he remembers a lot. So I think that's good.
1: (laughs) I think it was just fascinating to listen to him, you know, discuss. Uh, analytics and you know the Rockets this year, the year that James Harden is having,
0: it kind of put a real concrete you know cap on on, on the idea of value. And, and I kind of always surmised that from the things he'd said before about getting one of quote unquote those guys. You know, and it's, it, they, in the organization they have draft ratings for everyone. What would it take to trade for this player? And that number, as he mentioned, I thought it was pretty funny. It's asymptotic. You know, it's it's there is an infinite value. There's nothing in the NBA that you would trade for James Harden. And that's what I love to hear the GM say. I fully believe he believes it, and I believe it as well. That there's really no other player that you would give up James Harden for and no amount of value in the draft that you would give up James Harden. When you
1: look at the last draft, I believe the Rockets had come out and said that there were two players that were untouchable, James Harden and Clint Capella. Uh, James Harden obviously see a top three player in the NBA just the year and the caliber of uh, numbers that he's putting up this year. Clint Capella obviously has, I think, a lot of upside, and he's played well this year for the Rockets, and uh, I think it's unfortunate that he has gone down with an yeah. injury. he uh, be back. But yeah, I mean, Trezzel has done... Trezzel, that's a new nickname, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to hear you say it, too. Yeah, I think, I think Trezzel has done phenomenal, uh, you know, replacing... Eating up those minutes in uh, Capella's absence. He belongs
0: but, to a long line of, like, blue-collar Rockets guys that we love to Shane root Batty. Like Chuck yeah. Hayes, Shane Battier yeah. comes to mind. I mean, guys like that that were Luis never... Louis Scola, that was yeah, another... Sure. I, I just love that about the Rockets, is they always put together... They always have guys that go to work. And they see... Yeah, they go to work, and they seem to get the most out of their role players, which has been a pretty consistent trend throughout Daryl Morey's tenure here. I don't know if that's directly responsible to him or what, but it is something that's fun to watch, and it's the easier route for these guys, too. Yeah. They do seem like the good guys this year, whereas last year... They're they tiresome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, villains are just maybe uh, unentertaining and un- uninspiring. I just don't like watching Dwight Howard do anything except lose. So I was in a weird spot with the team, but we're certainly back from that now. But it's interesting that Clint Capella is untouchable. I wouldn't have put him in that category. But but, they, but with with James Harden, look, there's a very short list here. Would you trade James Harden right now for uh, let's say LeBron James? Ooh, that's tough. And um, let's say let's say they when they trade places, they they revert to their original contract. So like if you trade for LeBron, LeBron's taking on Harden's contract, right. and vice versa. So you're just trading the value of player.
1: So LeBron's 32. His body is so worn because of the last, what, six years he's made the finals. I think he would punch you if you he heard you say that. I, I think he's the greatest player <laughs> that I've ever seen play. Yeah. But specifically because of age, I would go Harden. There you I, go. I Harden's think, very young. I, he's, he's very young. He's got a lot of upside. I think he's going to... Bring a championship to the Rockets at some point in his career. I think he's still
0: improving. I don't think you can say the same about LeBron. So I'm with you there. I wouldn't trade him for LeBron. Would you? We talked about Russell Westbrook. You wouldn't trade him for Westbrook. Would you trade
1: him for Kevin Durant? Uh, Durant's a little better defensively. He, he's a little better defensively, but I like the type of game that Harden brings because he's he's playing, I think, a more valuable position. He's essentially a point guard. Yeah. And I think he can make other players better around him. And I think... Gosh, it's tough because I think those are three of the best players in the NBA right I now. Know. I, I, I we, <laughs> It's supposed we, to be tough. We kind of had this conversation a few months back. We were asking if you could start one franchise, who would it be? Would, it, would you start it with Durant, Westbrook, Carl or would Anthony you start Towns. with Harden? Carl and, Anthony Towns. Fair enough. <laughs> fair point. Uh, but, gosh, but I don't, those, but those I don't know so if I trade Harden for Carl
0: Anthony Towns straight up right now either, no. even though Towns is much cheaper and even
1: younger. The only player that I would probably trade Harden for straight up right now is Steph Curry.
0: Oh, that's that's a terrible call. I'm glad that Daryl Morey has his job and you have your job. That is, he, he would be the only player that I would consider. No, no. Why? Not much rather have Harden and Curry. Why? I think I think basketball is about aesthetics. Sometimes it's about what you enjoy watching, what is pleasing to you to watch. So my favorite player, I say this often, Tracy McGrady. Was he the best rocket ever? No, Hakeem obviously I think would be the best rocket ever, and I watched a little bit of Hakeem, but and I think right Harden's making that push. Oh, absolutely! I think it's certainly it's the
1: longevity that is. It the will difference be a discussion in years
0: to come, but it's not right now, currently. And currently, you know, the only championships the team has came from Hakeem those years he had. I don't know. I, I, honestly, I, I would entertain some arguments. The guys we mentioned, I think you could all make an argument for. But, but me personally, there's nobody in the league that I would trade James Harden for, and that's a good place to be. I think. I think that speaks to the fact that he does project to grow, that he is already at an incredible level. There's a lot of upside. I don't like Steph Curry. I don't like watching Steph Curry play. Oh, that's what I was talking about. Basketball's about aesthetics. You root for what you like. Like, I like Tracy McGrady, obviously. Just everything about him, even his flat three-point shot. When it went in, it was tremendous. You know, the way he would get to the rack. I mean, just kind of the way he carried himself. So much of fandom, I think, is about... Just falling in love with the aesthetics of the team. And there's something about the way James Harden moves, plays, leads the team that is really inspiring and fun to watch and gets me personally excited. Whereas whenever I see Steph Curry, I feel like uh, like a little like, disgust It's a little bit heavy. I'm not sure if that's really what I mean, but like a sense of dislike. And a guy would—I had the same feeling about Dwight Howard the whole time he was wearing a Rockets uniform. I never liked that guy.
1: I never liked rooting for that guy. Well, now he's 18 and 16 in Atlanta, so uh, more power to him. I don't wish him great.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't wish him anything horrible to happen to him necessarily. If something horrible did happen to him, I don't know if I'd shed a tear. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So like, he's just—he's just in this weird state. I don't want to be the guy rooting for him. I don't want to root for Steph Curry. I want to root against Steph Curry. And I think James Harden's the perfect tool to use in that in that rooting against Steph
1: curry so one of the questions that we asked daryl morey was regarding i I think one of the questions that we wanted to ask him was james Harden's contract situation and you know with the new collective bargaining agreement whether the rockets could keep him long term at a higher salary i think that's without question going to happen do you see harden playing anywhere else in his career
0: well and and daryl morey couldn't answer the question and i you know it's Obviously, there are tampering rules and things you can't talk about as a GM, but as was reported, they were the ones that pushed through this uh, uh, amendment to the CBA that would allow you to hang on to your star players for even longer because I think they see how valuable James Harden is and how, uh, how hard it is to get one of those players. You, know, you still talk about how fluke it was they were able to trade for him in the first place, and it just doesn't happen all that often. So I, it makes sense that every team that has a, a player like that, obviously Golden State would be in favor of that same kind of ruling. So yeah, am I excited that we're going to see James Harden here long term? Absolutely. I mean, lock the guy up. He's still not found his ceiling, and he's definitely a guy to build around because he does that one thing so few players do. That's make everyone playing around him better.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that I liked that Maury said, and I'm just going to paraphrase it, but he said that you work your entire career as a gm trying to find one of those top five yeah. or top 10 players and if you don't have one there's no point in showing up and james harden is that top five caliber player and i think it's going to be that for uh the long haul in his career and i just can't wait to see what he can do in houston and to see how uh, he continues to develop in d'antoni's system because uh, when i look at one of d'antoni's best players of all time it's steve nash and just it, he was so much fun to watch oh, yeah. those phoenix teams were you know when you had nash and stoudemire i mean those were just Great teams to watch. And And what did Stoudemire do anywhere else? Exactly. (laughs) exactly. And I think that's what we're seeing with the Rockets. I think we're seeing the Phoenix Suns Mm -hmm. from a few years back. And uh, can they make a run? We'll see. I I think the Suns, they always had issues trying to get past L.A. with those uh, phenomenal Laker teams. But I think the Rockets, under D'Antoni, this is a system that works. And it's a system that I think can bring a championship to Houston.
0: Absolutely. I'd love to see a little less dribbling from uh, from James, but, you know, whatever. He's doing really, really well. Actually, I shouldn't criticize any <laughs> part of his game. But, but, you know, just being there watching him, it's always like, God, that ball is always in his hands. Right. He's putting it through his legs, clock winding down. But you know what? He hit some incredibly tough shots, and he had teammates that hit some incredibly tough shots. So, you know, I, I don't know. I'm enjoying it. I don't want to rock the boat too much. And that's what Morey talked about as well is, are you going to go out there and look for a trade? He said, listen, we're going to do whatever is best for the team. But when you have a core like this and you're winning more than 75% of your games, you don't necessarily want to take the hit in chemistry that would come with a big trade. So, I mean, you know, Morey... He says what he says. A lot of things GMs talk about kind of a smokescreen. I believe him. I believe that he looks at this squad and says, this is actually what we want to be and want to be doing. Our ceiling is pretty high. I don't think that he feels that need to go out there and get someone. Oh, when he said that. Yeah. And there even though there are players available, we talked about Nurland's Noel with someone Hunter asked us to ask about. I don't know. I don't know if I want Noel on this team, frankly, with, with what he's been doing in Philadelphia. But Um, certainly there are players out there he could acquire. I don't think he's in the market for a player in the way he has been in previous years. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with keeping this team as is
1: this team. The chemistry is just phenomenal. And there's a reason why they are just three and a half games back. of Golden state right now, you know, they've beat golden state this year. They've beat San Antonio this year. Uh, I, Hunter and I were talking that the one team that potentially could give the Rockets a matchup problem is Utah, just because of how slow yeah. they play. Uh, but Wouldn't that be terrible to reignite that old rivalry oh Right when gosh. we seem to be shut up? <laughs> yeah, but uh, the Rockets are going to be fun to watch, uh, especially as the playoffs come around in April and May, and uh, hopefully they're playing in June. I wonder if, if people around Houston still feel that way, because I mean, for so long, you just hated the
0: Jazz. Oh, they absolutely. were the most hated team in the league for us. I wonder if there's a newer generation of younger people that don't recall the Utah Jazz being a threat, being a significant factor in the league. And just don't have that same animosity towards them. I'm not even sure the players have that animosity. Oh, I know the players don't. The players are much younger than me now. <laughs> right. I've gotten to that age now where almost everyone who's playing at a competitive level is younger than I am. It's it's really sad and weird. <laughs> it feels like the first step in the middle age. But um, but no, yes, yeah, so I don't think the players recall it. Although the players have a pretty good sense of history in a lot yeah, of cases. That's true. Even high school players do. I mean, they seem to have a very uh, deep interest in in the history of basketball and the history between these teams, whether it's their districts, the colleges they're considering attending, or uh, professional leagues as well. So I, it's hard to say. I'd be curious to talk to a player and see what if anything they think of that but i mean I, you know they move so frequently these days i'm not
1: sure that there's that same sense of team identity you know? yeah so the college college football season wraps up this next week uh the nfl season wraps up uh, a month from now and uh, we'll, we'll primarily be focusing on the nba uh on recruiting on Major League Baseball, you know, kind of moving up in the next few months, but uh, It's soccer. It's going to be yeah, mostly soccer. Talk. Mostly soccer uh, Premier League. We're not, I mean,
0: we're not fans you know, of it, but we're just know. going to totally switch our format because that's what people have been clamoring for. sports soccer.
1: Talk. Yeah, but it, 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 it's been a lot of fun to open up this year, 2017, with uh, such a great guest in Daryl Morey, and we hope to continue to bring you great guests as we move forward throughout the year. But Kevin, uh, it, it's been great getting together on the new year and uh, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. And uh, hopefully our Clemson pick comes true and uh, we are global about it here just a few weeks on the podcast but uh, again big week for the Rockets uh, you know as they try to continue their hot streak uh, after a 15 2 December uh, Texans playing the Oakland Raiders on Saturday hopefully the Texans can uh, manufacture a win before getting blown out against uh, New England but uh, <laughs> Kevin it's been an absolute blast today uh, going one-on-one with you also thanks to Daryl Morey the general manager for the Houston Rockets for joining us on the weekly group podcast again this has been episode 75 of the weekly group podcast and on behalf of my co-host this week Kevin Cook. My name is Austin Staten. We'll see you next week.
0: And guys, remember, no matter who you are, where you go, or what you do, always, always brew responsibly. You've been listening to the weekly brew.